is expecting you. Yes, welcome to another episode of Thoughts from Aunt Wu. Today on the podcast, we have Corey. Hello. And we have Charles. Hello. Today, we will be discussing Book 3, Episode 5, The Beach. A very, very interesting episode in the life cycle of Avatar The Last Airbender. So, without further ado, let's kick things off with our initial thoughts. One with one, Corey. Why don't you give us your thoughts? I love this episode. This is like the definition of perfect film. Like, there was so much character development. You saw the characters in an element you've never seen them in before. And by God, this was Azula's episode. This was the best episode I can remember with Azula in it. She was freaking perfect in this episode. Um, if I had to have, like, surface-level complaints, everything with Aang was stupid. I think the the exploding bender bounty hunter is terrible. Um, in this episode, at least. He's pretty cool in a lot of episodes, but in this episode, he's Call him by his name, Sparky Sparky I, Boom Man. Sparky Sparky Boom Man uh, is not off to a good start in this episode. And it's a very interesting episode to debut him hunting Team Avatar, but it is what it is. But uh, overall, I, I love this episode, and I, I think everything with Azula, Zuko, uh, May, and Haile uh, is just perfect. So, very good episode. All right, Charles, what about you? Uh, I, I don't remember this episode super well. Uh, granted, I didn't really have a chance to rewatch it prior to recording this, but I mean... I think my brain blocked out the the gang stuff, except that it happened. <laughs> I just remember the um, the stuff, the character development with Tylee and May, Azula and Zuko. I mean, Zuko, we're, we're like straight up at the well, at or in the middle of his epiphany, I guess of. Figuring out for himself, or figuring out that he should decide what's right and wrong, rather than just accepting what a nation wants or his father wants, which is pretty cool. Yeah, I think this is a very interesting episode, and I think this is one of the more interesting episodes for us here at Thoughts from Aunt Wu, where we are allowed to kind of take the entirety of the canon into account, because... This episode, to me, feels like the spiritual predecessor to The Legend of Korra. Like, this feels like an episode of really even book one Korra, with it's a lot of teenagers being teenagers and being bad at being normal teenagers. Um, which is, I think, really interesting looking at, at this at this episode. And I, I definitely feel like there was a lot of inspiration for some of the things that happened in Korra, which, to be honest, I'm not the biggest fan of. Um, and I know some people are even have even more problems with it. So I did kind of have a little bit of the sense in this episode that it, it, it felt maybe not quite as as great as it as it could have been with that kind of thought in my head. Um, the gang stuff, I mean, I think, look, they introduced combustion bedding, which is cool. They introduced, you know, Sparky Sparky Boom Man, who, I, you know, I, I understand, I think, what Corey's saying here, but I, it's not, it is what it is. You know, I think it's, it is, 
it's a way for them to introduce this type of bending we've never seen before. So we'll get into that. I think for today, because the obviously meat of this episode is the stuff with uh, the fire with our Fire Nation Royals. Um, let's let's go through the gang side of this quickly because I'll just kind of get that away and talk about the little bits that's in this episode because I would agree with Corey, it's a little weird. Um, the first thing I want to say that I think is just bizarre and I have no understanding of whatsoever is you have them all kind of swimming in this cave thing and Toph is like worried that Aang's not covering up but Katara is like it's totally safe and isn't that literally opposite the way those two should be acting? Like, legitimately the exact opposite of these two characters? Yes, and not only that, like, Aang is, like, book one Aang. Like, he's so, like, back to being immature and reckless and, like... It was but haven't, we been, haven't we been saying that a little bit for, like, the last couple weeks? Hasn't Aang been pretty awful this entire book so far? Yeah, he's inconsistent. Like, we um, talked about it the entire the time during Painted Lady of, like, wow, Aang is, F is book one Aang. Headband is kind of like that. He doesn't do anything in Sokka's Master, so who cares? Like, we are I, – I don't I don't think I remembered as much. But, yeah, book three – beginning of book three, Aang is very book one-y. Yeah, it's very interesting how they go about this. Then asking a question on that specifically – do you think that Aang's kind of problematic mental state post failure in bossing say has caused him to kind of revert? Do, do you think that that's actually what's going on here? That he, um, like he he the reason Aang, Book One Aang was the way he was is Aang felt this tremendous guilt and like, the pressure of being the Avatar was too much, so he kind of pushed it inward and and, and just said, "I'm going to ignore my responsibilities." Do you think that the failure in Bossing Say has almost brought up the same feelings and now he's once again kind of trying to ignore his responsibilities and, and kind of push that aside? It's interesting to think about, but it's never tackled in this show. And I think if the show writers wanted that... I mean, it kind of is in Nightmares and Daydreams. I see your point. Uh, it's just not overt and I, I think it's definitely something that could be relevant but I I like, look I really... I hate Nightmares and Daydreams I think it's a, an, the worst episode of this show so I, I don't remember it all that well and I don't want to start like adding a whole bunch of subtext to that episode but I kind of am wondering if you have that episode where Aang is explicitly like terrified of facing the Fire Lord and once again terrified of failure is that not What's going on here? It's just not like overtly discussed, if that makes any sense. So but maybe let me I let just... me ask you this though, Corey. Let me because I don't think you're wrong. But was it overtly discussed in book one? Yeah, and and all the flashbacks, how he he clearly was still immature because he just wanted to be a kid again. So, yes, but I think it was. You have the storm, which is Aang, like, why Aang is, clearly doesn't, like, has angst about being the Avatar. But I don't think it's ever explicit about the, like, let's go to Kyoshi Island. Let's, outside of the one line of I never wanted to be. But, like, we talked all throughout book one how, like, God, Aang does nothing. And all he wants to do is goof off and be a kid. But... 
in retrospect, it makes a lot of sense for who he is because he's shoving away the, the, the responsibilities of the Avatar and trying to make up for the, the guilt he feels. Is that – I'm, I'm wondering if that makes some degree of sense here within these, these couple of episodes that this is Aang, Aang – essentially, this is Aang's response to stress. His response to feeling the, the guilt of failure is to become a kid again and just per, essentially pretend he's not the Avatar. In this episode specifically, I think it was just meant as a comic relief. I understand, but you put that in context of we've been saying this now for like three weeks. Yeah. I don't know. I think there's some I think there might be something there. I mean, it's a valid interpretation. It's just never explicit, right? So mm-hmm. Alright, so so one thing I have to just give a lot of credit to this is the writers of this show are so good at writing comic relief guards. Yeah, that was it's uncanny <laughs> how good they are. With like, you have these two bumbling idiot guards, which is kind of a trope, but it's kind of fun that they are clearly not in an important position. Like, clearly they're bumbling idiots, so they're given this boring, meaningless job because that's what you do for bumbling idiots. But then, turns out they're kind of important. But then. Oh, they're bumbling, so it actually makes sense that the you know the bounty hunter was able to catch the 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 messenger hawk. Um, I don't know. I love I love these moments. We've had a bu- we have a bunch of them. We still have some coming up. I I just they're so good at these guards, these comic relief guards. When I originally saw the scene of like these two nobodies being the ones that discover the avatar and like get them in the truck. I was a little annoyed, but then I like I really sat and thought about it, and I'm like, yeah, this makes perfect sense. Aang like deserves exactly what happened to him, and their line like, I hate this post. It's so boring. Nothing ever happens here. It just like was such a perfect timing. It was just a funny moment. Mm-hmm. And just like the idea that the thing they're excited about, you know, the black ribbon message. They don't do anything. They write something yeah. in a scroll, put it on a hawk, and let it fly away. And they're this is so exciting. Like it's like what? I love those guys. Um, alright, so Corey, I think you wanted to I think you wanted to talk a little bit about, about your issues with the introduction of Sparky Sparky Boom Man. So I'm gonna give you the floor here to discuss how you feel. I wrote in my notes that he reminds me of that bounty hunter in Attack of the Clones where, like, he's just useless. He, like, storms, stomps in, wakes everyone up. He, he like, flashes a light into, I think it was Aang's eyes. And then he does not actually <laughs> flash a light. That is the reflection of the moon, just Fine, the so we're of clear. The moon, but no, he's an assassin, and he is, like, the, it's so clearly he's shining it. And then he gets... Before he reveals his powers, no one knows what he can do. He takes his one shot and misses by a mile. And misses every shot by, like, a mile. And then creates a smoke screen, which Team Avatar could have escaped through just without Aang distracting him. And he's just useless. He's such a useless, useless assassin. But at the same time, his powers are just awesome. And, like, watching him, it's almost like the, uh... Seismic charges and attack of the clones is like so cool watching them go off. So well, well, let me ask you a question about combustion bending specifically, like in this context. Do you think that combustion bending is 
on some level too powerful to the point that they have to make him kind of incompetent or else there's no way out. Avatar is such a well-written, tightly-knit show. I think the show writers had a million ways or like that they could have taken and I think they just didn't and I'm like, yeah, yes, like I'm a sci-fi trope guy, I'm a Star Wars fan or whatever and I understand like a bad guy having to miss their shot or you know, well, like- what I'm specifically saying is like I, I don't buy that trope. I think it's kind of stupid. I think that it, it's never like don't write yourself in a position where that's the case. But I do wonder with combustion bending specifically because it really is just this incredibly powerful but also very kind of linear in your face does a thing. Like it blows things up. I don't. I do wonder. Is it possible? It's that it's kind of hard because even with the sort of other times we've seen combustion bending, whether it's the rest of this uh, of it in this show or later on um, in Korra with um, Pali, I always get the sense of like it seems like there's. It's either they hit the target or they don't because it's just like an explosion. And I do sometimes wonder if maybe this is a little too powerful in order to have an even fight. Because I think you're totally right that there's kind of no reason for him not to destroy them when it's like they don't know what his power is. He could just kind of go up relatively unnoticed uh, and then just blow them up. I don't mind him like stomping in and like waking them up and like any of that. But he had his shot. They took a shot and he missed by a mile. It wasn't even close. So it was very, like, on the nose for me. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's definitely not the... It's definitely not the peak of, of especially character introductions. Um, but I do agree with you. I, I've always really liked Combustion Bending just as, like, this really cool thing. Um, like, this very, like... It, it, it is a natural kind of exploration of firebending but in a very different very like specific way um and i've always found it kind of cool so i don't know i'm willing to kind of free of it a little bit that it's like it was the first introduction and you know they were kind of saving their interesting fights with this guy for later ish so you know and that's why i think this episode is the weirdest episode to like get him going because like again team avatar stuff was like such an afterthought in this episode and like it was like painfully obvious and they had like what five ten percent of screen time but it's also clear that they stuck it in there because they needed a place like obviously they needed a place to introduce this guy like you had to introduce uh, you know sparky sparky boom man and combustion bedding that was just the way it was and in this episode like in theory there's nothing for the gang to do so where else are you going to do it? Like, you're not going to do it during Sokka's Master. That would be ridiculous. Like, there really isn't another logical place for it. So I think that it does kind of make sense as like, a, well, we needed five minutes with the gang. Now's the best time to do it. All right. Especially because yeah, they do want right. him to be a recurring antagonist. Like, he's going to appear at least, I think, just two more times with the runaway and... In the, the the final the thing with Zuko, yeah. 
All right, so I think that's any 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 other thoughts on the the gang side of this because I, I don't think there's much that we have. It was pretty short. All right, so now let's move on to what is really the meat of this episode: um, the beach vacation for Zuko, May, Tylee, and Azula. So. I, I talked a little bit during my initial thoughts about how much I thought that this felt like the predecessor to Korra. Um, a, it's clearly teenagers, but also teenagers who are bad at being teenagers in some respects, specifically because of their importance to government affairs, so to speak. Korra, you know, classically, Korra is really, really bad at dealing with kind of normal teenage issues, which makes a lot of sense because she was raised as the Avatar and has no real understanding of a normal life. And I think that that makes a lot of sense, especially for, like, Azula, who doesn't really have... is obviously very, you know, never been interacting with people of her own age. So it does make sense that she's bad at a lot of this. Um, but one question I want to have just right at the top, because this is something that runs through with Azula. Do you think that it makes sense that Azula is so bad at all of this stuff when she is so good as a character at reading people, at manipulating people, at getting into people's heads and things like that? Yes, but... I'll let, we'll let, like, we'll let Corey go then, Charles, because I think you both said something, and I couldn't tell who said what. Um, in terms of her having like a military mind, I think the act of like dating and flirting is a completely separate. To be fair, and obviously they turned Azula up to eleven this episode for comedic value, but like I think when it's more of a matter of like, oh, I think this guy is cute, like. I want to date him. That could be separated from like when she's being like, you know, a sociopath and like, like get, trying to get like a means to an end. I mean, I under what I'm saying is, I understand specifically the dating stuff or, or the whatever you want to call it. That I'm I'm on board with, but I think specifically, and and we'll jump around a little bit, but specifically with the scene with the volleyball, I, I find it very almost a little too over the top with how she's like, we have destroyed you. Like, I do kind of feel like Azula <laughs> is, like, she, it, canonically, she is incredible at manipulating people and playing people and and finding exactly what the right thing to say. I mean, she literally takes over the Dai Li and Long Fang by, like, a pure game of manipulation. And I feel like someone who's that good with people on that front should have just a touch more tact than of like, this is not the, your moment. Uh, but Charles, you were about to, to answer my question. So what do you, what, how do you feel? Oh, um, I mean, I was gonna say pretty much the same as Corey, but if, if, then, you know, obviously we know by the end, the calm, whatever else was psychologically way past unstable. Uh, if you read this as rather than her uh, being unable to act, but actually internally more 
feeling more displaced. Mm-hmm. It almost like she feels what Zuko says out loud. And uh, sorry, sorry, what Zuko says out loud in uh, the. Don't remember when these things were published, but in that like brief comic where they show his early days with Iroh, like right after he got exiled. Mm-hmm. It's even here when it's like he says he want to be on vacation or whatever. Um, maybe it's just that the fact that she was sent along here instead of you know trying to wrap up the campaign. Well, I guess that is a question I want. I do want it because I think that's partially the disconnect i'm feeling here because right off the bat like zuko is clearly very disappointed and upset that he's been like kicked out of the uh you know the important meetings and i feel like azula should be a little bit more mad about that like azula is the type like clearly would want to be involved in every you know manner of the fire nation i mean she is at in theory at this point, kind of plotting to becoming Fire Lord. So I kind of felt like Azula should be more upset about that. But I also can understand that Azula is sort of really good at understanding her own feelings at this point. I mean, we're not we're not quite there in the Azula breakdown in the you know that we're gonna see later, to the point that she can control and knows that acting like she's disappointed is not going to be a good thing for her. It's going to net her negatively um, on this type of thing. She's going to be perceived negatively if she comes across as the child who can't take being, you know, being pushed on this vacation. So she's putting on some bravado. But I guess, I guess when you read it like that, I'm kind of thinking through this on, on, on the fly, it kind of makes sense then that she's actually significantly more upset than we realize so the one thing she can control this you know for example this volleyball game where she can just destroy them she ends up going completely overboard because it's her way of maintaining control in her life i want to disagree completely i think the volleyball game azula's reaction the winning all of that is being taken too literal i think all of it was driven up to 11 for comedic value and period. There was like no selling from like the opponents when I lost. It was just like, like, whoa, like funny face reaction. And I don't think any of this was really but, any deeper. But here's than the it thing, but be. here's the thing, Corey, like we, I, I'm not going to say you're wrong. Obviously you're right, but I'm, I don't, to some extent, I don't care. Like I don't care the, the, out-of-universe reasons for why these things are the way they are. Like, for our purposes, Azula is a person who acted a certain way. Like, you know, I I know it's obviously weird, and and this is writing, and and we can talk about what you're saying, but on some level, like, from the world of Inside Avatar, within the narrative, it's not like Azula sat down with with Zuko, Mei, and Tylee and was like, you know, guys... We need to be extra funny this weekend because, you know, this episode doesn't actually matter. But I'm, I think it's, again, surface level, if you want to just read what it was in the show, take away, like, the whole writing tropes and all that. They just wanted to win. They're very competitive, But uh, obviously. I, I understand them wanting to win. I'm, I, 
I think the moment with her being like, you can see the slightest hesitation on her right foot. We should keep serving there. There's a childhood injury. That I think is perfect Azula. That's her recognizing the smallest detail she can. And you know what? Who cares? You know, it doesn't matter that this is a game. We're going to go for this as much as possible to win. But it's the moment after when she's like, we have destroyed you, where I agree with you that that to me felt like them turning it up to 11 for comedy. But one of the problems with doing that, one of the issues that you get when you turn something up to 11 for comedy is it can kind of not make any sense. And I'm wondering, do you think that that is purely a, all right, they did it for the sake of comedy and whatever, ignore it, it doesn't make sense. Or do you think that there's something about Azula's psyche that's going on there as a, as a person? No, I think it was done to put like again like these extreme cases of characters like a normal teenage life and they're just like look how fish out of water they are right now and i think the only scenes you can truly say you're seeing the real them is at the end of the episode where like everyone's airing their dirty laundry except for azula and i thought that was a brilliant azula scene at the oh, end we'll, we'll get to the we'll get to the end yeah because i have thoughts about that we'll um also should these people not be a little bit more recognizable Especially Zuko. Yeah, yeah I was thinking Does that, that make any sense? No. But these, 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 like, are, like, bro teenagers. Like, it, it would be as if, like, someone, like, ran into, like, Joe Biden. And but remember, these him. aren't just bro teenagers. These are bro teenagers who are the children of very powerful, important people in the Fire Nation. Are they? Yeah, they, I don't remember. well, they claim to be, at least. Oh, but come on, man. And also, they're very rich in an authoritarian regime. It's hard to be, or monarchy, it's hard to be very rich and not at least but have... This is like the, it's the pre-internet age. If you don't, like, you know, like, it's not like there's pictures of Zuko everywhere where he's instantly recognized. It's not. Wait, wouldn't there have been? But I'm not, he's not, you're not saying they don't know who Joe Biden is. I mean, this is like... I don't know. I mean, I guess the equivalent would be like people who didn't know who Daenerys Targaryen was, who were just like around. Yeah. But like, you don't have to like in Game of Thrones universe if you were someone that lived in West. But Danny it's especially or- Zuko since he's so recognizable with the scar. But sure, but like, if and I want to who- remind you that while he wasn't recognized, the. Random people in the Earth Kingdom, once prompted, knew who he was. Because they, uh, he's the enemy, and again, these are pompous. He's the enemy, not- but the crown prince? He's the crown prince, Corey. I know, but like, you know, they don't get, it's like, they, they do like these like funny tours where like, like CNN like goes onto the streets of New York City and is like, do you know who this is? And they get like funny, I, I, I like ignorant because they're just like i mean i i I can live with azula and obviously may entirely whatever but it's the zuko one that does feel a little odd all right mark let's let's use this interpretation these are the reject kids who um (laughs) they're, they're like the second in line they're not inheriting their family's wealth they're basically seen as bums so they got shunted off to this vacation island and wow, so sign no me idea. up to be a bum, like shunted off to this beautiful island and 
and you know all of these you know, beautiful house to throw parties with hot women. Yeah, yeah, it's it's nice until uh, your until your sibling inherits and kicks you out. I mean, they are all trust fund kids, I suppose. Yeah, so you know, just maybe they, yeah, maybe they, maybe they're rich, maybe their families are well exposed. Just because of that doesn't mean kids are. So, so, and, um, there, go ahead. Oh, uh, and uh, remember, Zuko was crown prince when he was real young, and then for like about a couple weeks. That is true. Th- that the the banishment does make some sense. So, if you're if you were a citizen not overly concerned with politics and you didn't really hear about the original incident, yeah, might not know. And these kids would have been what, like, the same age? We're assuming relatively yeah. the same age. So, when yeah. you were twelve, did you care? <laughs> not me, but I'm a different person. All right, great. Uh-huh. But That's with, not a good. Uh, <laughs> With the average Fire Nation twelve-year-old, do you hypothesize? Yeah, all right. Maybe I'm. Maybe you're right. Maybe maybe it's not the most ridiculous thing. And I guess Zuko isn't completely recognized during the showing of Ember Island players. Yeah. So yeah, all right. So. Yeah, maybe it maybe it makes more sense than I think. Um, all right, Corey. I think you had some thoughts about a certain group of certain two old ladies that you wanted to talk about. <laughs> I just I hate them. They're like. <laughs> off-brand Iros. They like there's like any one line they're being just regular comic relief. Other lines they're being like they're spreading out wisdom like Iro, and then they're doing bathing suit scenes and like it's so fucking like weird. Definitely have not. It a is a little it. cringy. I will give you that. Yeah, like a comic relief in this episode was done very well, but every time they were on screen, I like I was like, oh my god, I hate you both so much. But. On the flip side, besides that, uh, the fan service in this episode was very... I'm pretty sure every single character was in a bathing suit on both Team Avatar and on the other side. Um, first of all, no bathing suit for Sparky Sparky Boom Man, which which I would personally have wanted to see. <laughs> um, <laughs> second of all, no bathing suits for Appa and Momo. Wait, it wasn't like shirtless anyway? Appa and Momo? No, no. They don't wear clothes. Sparky, Sparky Boom Man. I don't know. I'd have to look up a picture to specific. But he's wearing, like, armor. No, no, his his chest is bare. It's fan service. Everyone gets fan service. Everyone gets fan service. Okay. I mean, you are right. This is a pretty... For a show that doesn't typically do this, it is a little, you know... They definitely went there. Ty Lee is wearing a, a a bathing suit for sure. Yeah, that's why I want to get to that too. Uh, Ty Lee, they only like you because like attention, and Ty Lee's wearing like the bathing suit. He's like the bustiest one there. Like, yeah, sure, that's why they're paying attention. Well, you can make an argument that that's part of what Azula is saying. The fact that she's like wearing skimpy clothing is. I, in fact, I actually think that's what she was saying. It was a peep show, and I think they didn't go there, but wow. I think that's exactly what. Was yes. Saying. Um, I do, I don't know. I, Zuko's complete ineptitude with flirting was very funny. Um, oh, I hate them both. But you also do wonder, like, how did him and May get together in the first place? Like, what the hell? Zuko, 
does not belong with May, and I will go to the grave. Yes, he does. Katara. No. I mean, I have the power to kick you off this call. Those are some. Yeah, they got divorced, right? Divorced is probably not the right word. They voluntarily separated from each other while maintaining the legal status of being married. Something like that, yeah. Alright, Corey, you've got a case. <laughs> you can have a case Thank about you. them not being together, but the they he belongs with Katara is is just incorrect. It's bad logic. Luckily though, since it's being spouted by Corey, you know that it's wrong, so it's okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, no no, I mean um they're probably really similar as kids. You think so? What? Oh, just both of them. There's powerful families, a lot of pressure on them to behave in a certain way. Uh, kind of have to, to. I mean, Zuko fucked up in his case, but you know, have to act a certain way around other powerful people. If they got together when they were kids, I could see it. And then just, you know, through the present time. Kari, I'm looking over your notes. What did you mean by, was he cross-eyed when he said that? Oh, so the... Not as pretty as you are. The guy that was flirting with, I think it was Tyler. Definitely Tyler. No, No, it was Azula. No, no, it was Tyler. It was definitely Tyler. He said the line, and I swear to God, he... I want to screenshot it. He like was literally cross-eyed. His eye was like inverted to his nose. Well, that's weird. I want. I am pulling up the episode now because I I want to take a screenshot and, and okay, show take you. Take a screenshot and I'll put it up on screen. Okay. Um. All right. So we've talked a little bit about Azula's mental state. We've talked a little bit about Azuko. Uh, Zuko's terrible flirting. Um, May. Um, I will agree with you, Corey, because I see this here. Azula arriving on time and being punctual, that was pretty entertaining. I like that, because that did feel like <laughs> yeah, the kind of thing that when you're in, like, government or in a war, yeah, it's really important that you be punctual, and you have to, you know, do that. But then, like, in real life, that's not at all. So that, I thought, was pretty funny. And, again, like, the, the, the best part is, like, everyone at party no selling it like they just like have like wide-eyed reactions like oh oh okay i guess you guys are here <laughs> um how do you so how do you feel about azula going to uh tylee for for advice on catching men azula going to tylee yeah just that whole that 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 exchange there it makes it very int- oh I can't remember the exchange it makes it very like like and how much like it completely 180 like on and flipped on its head so I thought it was just like it's just funny and everything was like brought up to 11 so I thought it was just like hysterical that exchange between them and then like the fake the whole fake the Azula fake laugh was hysterical well let me let me ask you a, a question right now you are Azula you are currently plotting to become Fire Lord. 
does do you think that on that Azula has given any thought to the idea of some kind of a relationship that involves power and how that would work? Do you think that that has crossed her mind? Not yet. I think she's completely inver- like she's looking internally. I'm not saying like in this like- moment. I'm saying before this. I'm saying, yeah. do you think at some point Azula has thought to herself, how can I find a husband that's going to help me get power? No, not yet. But it, it, I'm not saying it would never would come. It hasn't yet, to my opinion. Okay. So do you, so do you think that this is purely a situation where Azula feels that she must be good at everything and she sees that Tylee gets all this attention and she can't? And therefore, she wants to prove that all, if given the right tools, she could do it better. Or do you think that she's a teenager and is like, this looks fun? Teenager attracted to him. Because I go the other way. I really think that this is a moment of her just being like, I must be the best at everything. And I can't let yeah, Ty Lee be better than me at something. If she, if she was, she wouldn't have been outside with him. That's about where the kiss would have flaunt it in front of Tylee and she would have tried to get as many guys as possible to like outdo Tylee. I think she was legitimately just attracted to him and wanted to kiss him. Yeah. <laughs> okay. That's, that, that, that's reasonable. I'm just, I'm just curious. As we speak, I'm standing, I'm almost at the part now. I'm about to pause it when I get to that part. I'm really excited okay. to show. So, so I want to talk a little bit about what I, for me, what was definitely the best uh, part of this episode, which the moment after Zuko leaves the party, I don't know, but I guess before we get there, do you, do you have anything you guys want to say about uh, Zuko and May's sort of breakup, Zuko being really weird? I, I know everyone was brought up to 11 in this episode, but May is, was insufferable this episode. She was like the And Zuko, at least Zuko has like, like a reason to be an asshole because of how like upset he is about the whole Iroh thing. But oh, they were. Oh, I, the I, I really like you saying that, and then you compare that to a line we're gonna get soon with the Zuko, the not as much of a jerk as you could have been. Award. Like I like your. <laughs> well, he has a reason to be an asshole. Yeah, <laughs> I just think that's funny. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't have much to say about that. I thought it was you know more relationship drama for this episode, but. For me, the moment after Zuko leaves the party is definitely the best part of this episode. The, the way you have the, the combination of the music, um, Zuko walking up to, to the family house, um, the, those still images of him and his father, of the whole family, and then the one of him and Iroh and Luten, which just, if you watch that and don't get a little emotional, I don't know what, what's wrong with you, because it's just... There was something so powerful about that. Um, I, I love the decision of it being like these, like these still paintings of of essentially like in the with the color scheme where it's clearly meant to be like this idealized part of reality that maybe was never true, and we kind of know was never true. Like it's not really the case that 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 Zuko ever was. I think happy, but he's remembering it as that because that's all he has. And there's just, to me, it just feels so, like, 
it just got to me emotionally. The just getting to see Zuko without the scar on his face, um, going into the old house, finding the, the the hand print with the with the rock, which I don't know is kind of something that a lot of I think kid people did as kids. Like I have handprints of my childhood, um, like in my house at home, so it felt like like a very relatable kind of kid thing. But just like. I don't know. I love this scene so much, and I I really think that like it does a lot of the heavy lifting for this episode because I think without this scene, like at some level, this becomes kind of a like very meaningless filler episode that's like a lot of comic relief and a little bit of fan service and whatever. And even the ending, like I don't think the ending works on any level without this emotional buildup of where Zuko is in his mental state. And, and and Corey is right. This is like a very important part of the Zuko mental state when very shortly we're going to get the, um, you know, Zuko um, learning the, the truth of who his ancestry is with, with Avatar Roku, which is kind of definitely feels like the pitiful moment. But I think that it's very important that we got to see where Zuko was mentally before that because, like... You one you know one of the questions you can get after that after Avatar and the Fire Lord is like why did Iroh wait so long why did Iroh reveal this to him you know before the Crossroads of Destiny or or even back in Book One and it's because Iroh knew he needed to wait for the right mental state from Zuko so that he could actually accept this this news and I think that this this scene is kind of the be really the beginning of that of truly Zuko being home he has everything he ever wanted. But he's both depressed and is questioning whether the past was ever even real. Yes. Charles, is there anything you want? A little bit of a of a Mark rant on on things I like <laughs> about this show. I mean, uh, I know it would kind of ruin the theme. And uh, I'm not. I'm almost certain that they, on uh, the writers, would have wanted us to the us the audience, or just anybody that uh, interpreted the way you did. But can we give some credence to the idea that it was real but became false, since at the time, um, well. At time that they went to this beach house, Ozai's just not really that important. This grand scheme of the Fire Nation. Yeah, he's a prince, but he's not crown prince. His uh, brother's got a kid, so he's in theory not supposed to inherit. Uh, maybe. They actually were happy then, but when he started to make a power grab, it just got worse and worse. And then, I mean, I I would have to think that Ozai was planning, had been planning this kind of thing forever. Like Ozai does not strike me as someone who, on a whim, was like, oh, hmm, maybe I could. Like I think that he always planned this. Because especially, like, you see, like, Azula's react, like, Azula's reaction to Iroh, even when Iroh is still crowned prince, when, um, 
you know, he sends the toys and, and clearly Azula is like, doesn't have any respect for Iroh and Azula being truly the, the, the kind of successor to, to Ozai on every way. Like you can tell there's no way she doesn't have respect for the crown prince unless she's getting that from her father. Or she was just as much of a monster as her mother said she was. Yeah, but, he, but <laughs> that might be true. But Azula is Azula's quote unquote monsterness wouldn't not I don't think would manifest itself in not having respect for the person who's going to become Fire Lord. I would know it to me and knowing Azula, she would be sucking up to Iroh, knowing oh he's the guy with the power. Why should I listen to my father? He's meaningless. But if I can get in good with, 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 with Iroh, then maybe something good could happen. But I think that for a child there, for her to really, to essentially accept that, no, Iroh's not the real power in all this, that has to come from her mirroring her father. Mm. I could see that. Uh, that, that. I mean, that makes sense. On the other hand, uh, I think the way, and this is armchair psychology, psychiatry. You know, I think the way manifests, sorry, not manifest, the the way we express certain, the way um, certain behave, kind of alters over time, especially in those who have psychological disorders. Like, a psychotic kid is going to act, generally speaking, differently from someone who's a psychotic adult or a schizophrenic, whatever. Yeah, but I don't, I don't quite think Azula is schizophrenic. You sure? You sure about that? At least not at this moment. Yeah, not yet, but she, yeah. Maybe later on, but no, I don't think yet. I, I, I think that Azula, like... To be honest, I mean, I guess we can just kind of have the full, you know, kind of end the Azula conversation here. But, like, I I am a little bit confused in this episode with Azula with how I think that there's a lot of mismatch in, in this episode specifically. Because I understand that we know where Azula is going and are able to kind of, I think, like, see moments of her, maybe the facade coming apart as... Okay, yeah, that makes sense. Like she's not actually fully in control and 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 does have some some problems bubbling under the surface. But I think this episode does I think paints Azula in some weird in some weird lights because to me the hallmark of what Azula is, like who she is at her core is someone who 100% needs to be in control of everything. I mean, she is the absolute ultimate control freak perfectionist. But who has, who is very good at that. Like she, Azula is good when she is in control. She has shown a remarkable aptitude for when she is put in in the position to make decisions, she makes good decisions. When she is controlling others, she is very good at making those decisions. Now, she's also a psychotic, um, evil human being who does things clearly for bad. But to me, like... What made the Azul arc work really well was 
This is someone who is in control, in control, in control. That's who she is. That's who she is. And then in one moment, her two best friends betray her and obviously getting well ahead of ourselves. But and it all comes crashing down. Suddenly she realizes that she was not in control. She hadn't been in control for a really long time. And that essentially destroys her entire sense of self and causes all of these other problems. Now, I know, I want to say very clearly that this is not how mental illness works in real life. And if you want to diagnose Azula with mental illness, you cannot say that this is because her friends were acted a certain way towards her. And if she does have schizophrenia, that is a, a manifestation of brain chemistry and has a lot more to do with, with her own, with her brain and her mental state than it does with anything else. However, this is the moment where I will say this is a story, this is a narrative, and, and we can sort of analyze these things from a, a plot um, sort of the where the writers are going and what the what the point of all this is and i think that i don't know i don't i look at azula in her early years as yes she was a monster but a monster in a very particular way like she's not i guess to go with the game of thrones again like she's not joffrey she's not torturing cats and just killing things for because it's fun to kill things like she is instead someone who is very good at recognizing when to use her power, when to take the shot. I mean, a great example is the the way she treats Zuko when it when he's back first back in this in this book where she gives Zuko the credit because now she knows the Avatar probably survives and this is going to come back to really haunt Zuko and I can play off of his fears and play off of his his anxieties with this. It's not like she's Yep, I have to be the one who gets credit for killing the Avatar because I killed the Avatar. And if he does show up, well, then I'll, I don't know, find some way to blame somebody else. Like, it's, I think, very, like, to me, Azula is someone who is good at playing this game. Like, she knows what she's doing. And I, I think that there is a deliberate, there's something deliberate to that. And I guess to kind of answer the, the larger question that, that, that we're having here, Charles, because this really was a discussion of, like, were they actually happy at that time? I think Zuko might have been happy, but it's clear that this was never a happy family. Like, it's clear oh, that, yeah. like, there are serious, serious problems going on, even some that Zuko doesn't know. But I think it's that moment of, of Zuko questioning, like, were the things I believed about my childhood right? And that becomes really important when Zuko is going to reject Ozai, partially because banishing me was wrong you you, you took a, a child and, and punished him you know both brutally physically and with this incredible like you're banished go find the avatar thing that's like terribly cruel and before this uh, zuko has sort of internalized the idea that no father wants to welcome me back he gave me this mission to capture the avatar because he believes in me and need, knows i need to prove myself i mean yeah, it, that's obviously the case. And I think we all agree that rather than the specific um, what Zuko decides about his past, it's almost more important that he started asking the question. Yeah. 
or uh, you know, just in general, mm-hmm. the idea that Zuko is asking, making his own decisions in life is really, in the yeah. sense, what his whole character arc is about. So yeah, obviously that's important way. I just meant in that you know, as a young kid, go to the beach and uh, as you say, we we know, we the audience, the omniscient, relatively omniscient audience, know it wasn't a yeah functional family wasn't happy he could have yeah i i just i i really like this moment for getting like really getting to see and crucially without dialogue because this is an inter- this is an internal mental thing for zuko that he is questioning his past he's questioning like what what his childhood was and i i really like that and the, i think the way they did it with pure these still images juxtaposed with him walking into the house and and looking over his past is just like brilliant storytelling and unbelievably well done all right so now we're going to come to the final the final conclusion here the uh the major uh blow up as we as we see um on the beach with the fire so one one thing that I, i i think that's that is very important about i like this a lot with with azula is the you know as things are beginning to escalate and and, and Zuko takes the jab at, at, at Ty Lee about the circus freak that Azula just kind of laughs and like I think it's actually like really important for showing how you know she doesn't actually care about these people and soon when they're going to betray them betray her it kind of make you know this is I think one of the reasons that like maybe not explicitly that like Tylee would think back and be like, you laughed at me that one time, but this is the kind of thing that makes you go, wow, is this really my friend? Is this person really like going to be there for me? Yeah. I think the, uh, the seeds were definitely part of this episode. It's definitely, is not something to be scoffed at. Like the conversations they were having. Because I think even then there's like, there's like, I think the juxtaposition of like, yes, May and Tylee kind of throw some jabs at one another and like, you know, definitely are are like upset. But I think there's like a very clear difference between when you're upset taking some jabs and like straight up laughing at someone making fun of you, like in a very hurtful way. And I think that that's like a really important juxtaposition because clearly May and Tylee are going to be friends in are, are like friends in a way that they're not with azula even though they're very different people and you know sometimes might not get along but i think that like that's like that's a crucial detail here of like it's not like azula just made fun of tylee that's one thing but it's like i really think like laughing at your your friends like when they're being hurt is like kind of a pretty like that is really shitty and like i think really like begins to make like yeah i think tylee like definitely felt hurt by that in a way that she definitely wasn't by things that maybe May and Zuko had said. Yes, but I think at this point, too, being around uh, and, you know, knowing her the way it is, I think you've got to see some of things. What? Sorry, you were cutting out. Like, I think being around Azula and knowing like, you have to see kind of some of it coming. Like, you have, like, that one douchey friends so like it still hurts but like it's azula yeah but i think that like yes but i also don't think that tylee and may might 
totally know that as much as like yeah you're right but remember we don't get to, like this is something that we get to see like we know Azula is terrible but they do agree to follow her like clearly they like on some level like her I know you can argue that Azula didn't really give Tylee a choice but she doesn't seem like she's that upset about it um uh-huh. so yeah you're right I don't like I said I don't think it's like one to one her laughing at Tylee is why Tylee betrayed her. But I think it's just an important, like, just thing, like, you know, the kind of thing to, to like, put a pin in that thing to, like, just remember that, oh, yeah, like, even Azula, like, Azula is not a good friend. Her friends betray her. Maybe there's a, a coincidence there. Right. So, Corey, I want to ask you this specific question because you, you, you clearly do not like May, especially in this episode. I found it really interesting getting the self-reflection from May in the moment when she sort of she goes, you know, gets, says like, "I was a rich only child who got ever anything I wanted," and while she then goes on to kind of list some of the other things, the one thing about this I did kind of like is that even though May is the kind of you know goth dower, always brooding girl. I kind of found it interesting that she wasn't, she wasn't like, God, and my life was so terrible, you don't know what it was like. It's like, nah, she was like, kind of understood that she came from an incredible amount of privilege. And I found that interesting. I get what she was saying. I get why she is the way she was. But I think, again, she was just so unlikable and it's not like Zuko was being like and Zuko deserved a lot of I guess what happened to him in the end but May was so miserable and again I, I know this episode was a matter of taking the tropes we already know and just like executing it upwards a little bit but like I just May obviously gets better later on in the show and like by the time the, the series ends but much better but like I don't know. I, but specifically, I, I think it... but specifically, what I'm asking here is this type of character that you have, like the you know the, the the character who is like really the angsty teenage, I don't care about anything, pretty nihilistic, that kind of thing, which is clearly the trope they're going for with May. Would you agree with that? Yes. It's rare to me to get that character to also have the self, like, to recognize that it's not like her life is that terrible. Like, isn't typically this character like, oh, my parents don't understand me. Everything's terrible. It's the worst. Right? Isn't that... I think she's intelligent enough to be self-aware about why she is the way she is. And I think, like, she's... Like, I don't think, like, I think she knows what she's feeling. I think she's probably internalized this her entire childhood. So when everyone was airing a dirty laundry episode, I think she just decided to, you know, jump on Sue. I think she's not ignorant to why she is the way she is. Okay. That's, that's fair. I, I don't know. I was just, I was kind of taken aback by that, um, by that line of just kind of feeling like, I, I feel like there's a, a version of this show where, like, May is even more insufferable and it's kind of terrible. 
But yeah, you kind of think she's insufferable in the first place, so it doesn't matter. But I also think she serves as a great counter to Tylee. Like, they're so perfect as a duo together because they're the opposite of each other. Mm-hmm. So I, I think just in the sake of the show, servicing the show, mm-hmm. yeah, I think it works out very all right. Um, so just kind of continuing on this conversation. I, this is small, but it actually kind of bothered me. I know why this line is here, but I really did not like Ty Lee's, you'll totally break out in order specifically to get to the Azul, you know, Zuko pointing to his face and like talking about how hard his life is. Like that felt so forced to me. Do you agree with that? With what specifically? So, so you have the exchange where as uh, Ty Lee goes, um, like all this negative energy is bad is bad for your skin. You'll totally break out, and then Zuko like points to his face and is like, "Bad skin." Normal teenagers worry about bad skin. <laughs> yeah. That felt a little too forced to me. That's fine. I don't. I, I, the dialogue in the show is fine, but I think this is still like. Pretty rough. Yeah, it's hard to make the transition work, frankly. Yeah, like it, it felt to me like they wrote this line of like my dad tried to you know t- taught me a permanent lesson on my face and then tried to fit it into the conversation. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I could see that have been writing process. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, given that, there's not a lot of ways you can... Especially from uh, the ending with... Sorry, especially from the conclusion of Mai's you know, speech or talk. Mm-hmm. I, I don't really know how you smoothly transition to either Zuko or Zula mm-hmm. from there. Like, who's gonna... Neither of them are gonna say anything on their own about a prompt and... mm-hmm. yeah yeah i mean i don't know i i it's whatever i mean i i'm we're right now like critiquing individual dialogue lines which is never really a great thing to do but i don't know for 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 a show that i actually think for the most part is pretty well written i thought this was i thought this was a very forced line and and in an otherwise good scene i didn't i didn't love um all right, but with all that said, we get to the, the final blow-up. And I, I do really like the way that you have this, you know, who are you angry at? And then they just start, like, hounding him before he finally just explodes that he's angry at himself. Um, that I thought was well done. I thought that was well executed and, and, and fit with, like, what was happening here. And I, again, I, I will stress this again, I love the Zula. Like, you, you normally question, like, Hold on, I want to yeah. I want to get to the Azula part in a minute because I because I, I have some thoughts on this, but just like finishing up here, like with the specifically with the Zuko, just the blow up. Any any thoughts on that particular? No, it was, it was very well done, and uh, again, this is probably the most important part of up to this point, I think, mm-hmm. where it all comes out. Or what a weird episode comes out. All right, so let me let me ask you this about Azula before you before you talk about it, because I, I I'm really curious what you think about this. Do you think that Azula, in this moment, was actually thinking about her mother and the quote unquote difficulty of being considered a monster, or 
do you think that she was just trying to be a member of the group and everyone was laying out their dirty laundry so Azula needed to lay out hers? It's I'm so split because part of me, if I heard that Azula actually deep down was bothered her like her relationship with her mom, I would understand it. And I think this was like it kind of coming out. But then I also wouldn't be surprised if she was completely compassionately thinking about it. And then again, I, that goes to the like, she thought I was a monster. Well, she was right, but you know, it still hurt. And like, it's very interesting to think about if she actually thinks that, like, wow, she hated me. She thought I was a monster and it hurt me and like meant it and like actually has hatred for her mom for the way she treated her or if she's just is a sociopath, doesn't really care. Like, yeah, no, I, I was a monster. She was right to think that. And I think it's the former. I think she actually has those emotions. She has it under a lock and key. And then again, if you go into the comic, um, I think that's where it all comes out in the comic, about how she really... So so what you're saying is in for a brief split second, she loses control. It actually goes down this road and then puts on the Azula facade at the, when she realizes it. And it's like, well, of course I don't care, but still her. Yes. And I, the reason I came to that conclusion, if the comics didn't exist, I wouldn't really think that. I think she legitimately cares about how her mom treats um, and when, it, when she finally loses control by the end of the series, it all comes out. Charles, what do you think on that? I'm almost perfect agreement with Corey. Um, it's never a good I place remember, to be. <laughs> I mean, I remember that. I think it was a pair, three, set of comics, pretty pretty decent because they didn't that long ago. Uh, where Zuko, you know, it's releases the search. Little, yeah, to you know look for their mom and then find her in that village, married to the other. What what? The point is, um, given that and how she acts during that set of comics, it, yeah, it makes it seem like it was a, a real thing. But I remember when I first uh, saw this episode, I was, uh, I think, a teen at the time, end of high school. Um, I just remember thinking, oh, she's obviously just faking it, whatever. She just said something so that, you know, she could have something to share with them. Just like, just like how I camp sometimes, you, the people would say, oh, tell scary stories in your bunk, you wouldn't have a sh to say, so you just lump something together from, like, the stuff other people said. Or you know, personal stories or whatever, you know, kind of like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I don't know. I'm pretty much in agreement with Corey. It it wouldn't have seems like it was legit had it not been for the um, extra context we got the comics, or it, at the very least, the comics helped sell that it was a legitimate emotional breakdown a lot more than than the show itself. Uh, so. Okay. 
Yeah, I, 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 I overall agree with that. I mean, I think I, I agree with Charles a lot that I think that this is the kind of thing that, that definitely changes both one with the context of the rest of the show as well as kind of getting older and kind of kind of understanding people a little bit more. Because when I first saw this back in the day, I was 100% like, she's just saying something because she wants to be a part of the group. And Azula is the classic, even when we're talking about suffering, needs to be the worst. It, everything needs to be the worst. But, um, you know, I, I, I think that that was, uh, you know, I, I think that it is that case of like, she, she did, like the facade did crack for just a second and then she kind of did the only thing she could to cover for it and kind of laughing, almost laughing it off. I love that right. line so much. All <laughs> right. So I've been saving this for now. We did jump over the scene, but I want to talk about something because Corey is here. And I hate him with a burning passion for this because he made me think about this. But do you think that it is an explicit reference to Episode 2, Attack of the Clones, when Azula and her, um, what do we want to call him, bro-y friend start talking about sand before awkwardly flirting with each other? You know my answer, so... What? No, I'm, I'm seriously asking you. Do you think that this is an explicit reference, or do you think that this is just, it happened? I think it happened, and it's completely coincidence. Okay. But, but I would like to think that it was not a Because I want to be very clear that the, that the writers are very big fans of Star Wars and have done things that are clear references in the past. I mean... Toph is literally Yoda in Korra. Like, she's literally Yoda. If I would, if you think like we could tweet them and ask them, and probably the not. No. I'm gonna say no, but I'm very sad that, I, and I would like to believe it was actually there. Because I'll be honest, I I think it's an explicit reference. I really do. I think it would have been more on the nose if it was explicit. I, it's pretty on the nose. I mean, they're literally talking about what, sand. What was what was the line? As, like they had positive things to say about sand. Yeah, but okay, the line in in it doesn't matter. Like they're it's it's shot similarly. They're out on this balcony looking out. It's a very similar scene. I think it would have been funnier if like he was. Like, and then that would have been like. A good I mean, if he said I hate sand, I would have turned the episode off immediately and then just stopped and never watched the show again. Because <laughs> I, I would have done the complete. Opposite I can't ever deal with that. But Charles, you want to weigh? You want to weigh in on this? I I hope to God it wasn't a reference to that. I'm not um. Listen, everyone here is a prequel fan. No. Only one person here is a treacle fan, and I still think there's like a 40% chance that you've been lying about this the whole time and have been trolling just to see how long you can get this joke to keep going. Well, let me ask you, this is not Avatar related, but I don't like where this is going. How much are you? How much why? Don't ask him this question. In the pack of nine, where are you putting these... Like, where do I rank? Where do I rank the prequel? Yeah, out of the. We've had this conversation, and it's not a good answer. 
Uh, I think I'll, I'll, here, let me tell you. Five, three, four, six, um... Wait, is this, uh, is this best to worst or what? Best to worst. He just think, ranked episode think, three as the second best Star Wars movie ever. Yeah, no, I, I actually want to give it one, but I, I, I am like, I understand it's, so I think it's definitely two for sure. But yeah, I love Revenge of the Sith. I think it's a perfect Star Wars movie. I don't think it's a perfect movie movie, but I think it's a perfect Star Wars movie. Um, I really like Rogue One. Uh, it's not a prequel. It is a prequel. Um, and I understand that Attack of the Clones and Phantom Menace are flawed, flawed movies, but I tend to look at the good that came out of it versus the bad, so I appreciate it. The only good is memes. And alright, fine, Ewan McGregor is decent, but that's it. Decent, he says. That's decent, it. He says. That's it. <laughs> Nothing else. These are Oscar-nominated actors, or Oscar-winning actors who are all, like, <laughs> terrible in these movies, and you're like, wonder why? I'm someone that likes to look at what the prequels spawned, like the Clone Wars and a bunch of extended media, and I... Okay. I love We're them. not turning this into an episode of Corey is Wrong About the Prequels, but I had to ask this stupid question about Attack of the Clones, because I noticed it, and I just couldn't get it out of my head. <laughs> well, you know, fair. I, I was just trying to get a sense, because... Um... That movie in particular, I, I'm a fan of. I don't mind the first one. Don't mind. Phantom Last Mass. one. Revenge yeah. Of the Attack of the Clones. Whatever, whatever you'd like to say. There's some fun moments in Phantom Menace. You know, ooh, dual-sided lightsaber. First time. That franchise. Not the last. Regardless, um, I was just not a fan of all the. Attack of the Clones had its moment. No, it really didn't. It, did. <laughs> it doesn't. It it's really... a terrible movie. We're not doing this. We've had this debate before. We're going to continue to have it. We're not having it here. We've been on for well over an hour, which is a lot for an episode that, according to Corey, is complete filler. So. So want to be aware. I want you to be aware that we've done an hour and fifteen minutes on a pure on what you think of as a filler episode. So yeah, but there's there's nothing. I mean, you could make the argument that filler in this show is some of the greatest writing that. I don't think. TV I has. actually don't think this episode has very much. This series has very much filler, and I debate whether or not this episode even is filler. But I don't want to get into that discussion right now. With that, let's wrap things up with our final thoughts and our ratings because we have been going a while, and I am dehydrated. There's no hydration bot for me. We need a hydration <laughs> bot. Um, so, Charles, why don't you start us off? Final thoughts rating for this episode. Should pull up the ratings doc somewhere. Yeah. Um, I liked it. Uh, obviously. All right, let me... Let me leave gang out of this episode. Pretend that it was just... Um, just to go my Tyler and Zula because uh, I'll be honest, the fucking uh, all I remember is the dude shows up. It's all that happens. Fails to blow them up and they get away. It's like, whatever. <laughs> Who cares? It's like so, you know, it's so relevant. But the 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 themes they explore 
with the floor and the way they do it. Manner that they characterize them, making sure that they're not, um, like what you mentioned, making sure that none of their, you know, individual, their, their individual traumas are too like unfounded. Lies not the oh everything is bad. She can objectively say her. She came from a wall-off background. She was treated well. Uh, Tywi is open enough to say, yeah, I'm starved for attention, and I got some of it at the circus. Granted, probably out the way she won, but Inzuka obviously with the house, uh, just as great. In Azula, this is a this is a real interesting point in the Azula arc. Glad that they start. Obviously, it's a show, limited amount of episodes, and really, they almost have to accelerate kind of um, change in mental state that she goes compared to uh, real life. But uh, it's nice to see that they're not just they didn't make a one episode. Uh, it's not just when my Tylee betrayer. It's you know, they're uh, they're starting to set things up here. Um, I'll give the episode. All right, Corey, how about you? It was a very, very good episode. I thought it was hysterical. Um, the Team Avatar stuff. I guess you're right. I mean, where else are you? This the stuff with them getting hunted in the be at least in the beginning of it, and this obviously was start of like a multi-episode arc so I'll, I'll give it a pass um but that being said the the team avatar stuff was very background noise and uh, um it, it definitely felt noticeable but outside of that i love the character everyone i azula once again hit perfection for me she was perfect this episode she was funny she was, like, everything I want Azula to be, she was this episode. Zuko was great, and I really liked how it all came out in the end with Zuko, um, with his actual literal, like, explosion of anger. Uh, I hate my... It's not gonna change. Uh, Tylee is great, and I, I like what you had to say about this planting the seeds about what happens to Tylee later in the show. Um, and I, I think that the, the, the teenager... Uh, those spoiled brats were like such a perfect foil to their shenanigans. Like the way they like are like, oh! like the way they like sell everything that happens to them. And then like obviously the ending of the episode where they just like wreck the house was hysterical. Um, so overall, I really just had fun from start to finish of this episode. This gets like a definitely like an eight point two out of ten. Okay. Um. Yeah. About in the same place. I think that the gang stuff is is not is nothing special, but it's also it's there for a reason. They introduced Sparky, Sparky, Boom Man. We'll get much more with that stuff later, um, and that's fine. This episode is is about um, Zuko and then Azula, May, and Tylee. Um, I think that this episode is definitely one that gets a lot better in terms of our um, 
standpoint of looking at the entire show because it, it it helps to plant seeds about Azula that probably feel a little out of place in this episode itself, but make a lot more sense looking forward throughout the whole thing. And it's got for me one of the better scenes in the entire series. I, I love that that moment of Zuko and just the, the, just those still paintings and how great they were. So I'm going to give this an 8.8 .8 out of 10. I think this is a really, really, really great episode. Maybe not quite the, the, the upest echelon. You know, maybe the Yang stuff was a little better, but still very very good all right so with that thank you guys for listening or watching and we will see you guys next week with some more thoughts from out